thank you for listening to sermons by Chaplain Braswell. We hope that you are encouraged by these messages and that God will continue to bless you. And now, today's sermon. Well, good morning. It's good to see you today. If you have a Bible, I hope that you do. I invite you to turn to Psalm chapter 12. Psalm chapter 12 as we continue our study uh, in the book of Psalms. Um, for those of you, there's a couple people out here I see new faces. I praise the Lord for that. My name's Dan Braswell. I'm the senior pastor here for the Schofield Community Chapel. And I'm excited because I've been gone for, I think, five Sundays. And it's good to be back with, with everybody here with you all. But also, I see some new faces, which tells me that some folks have joined our community. So praise the Lord uh, for that. We're glad that you're finding your way here to our chapel so we can uh, worship the Lord together uh, in the next few weeks. I'm excited about eating. I'm fully aware as well that I stand between you and all that brunch that Chaplain uh, Burris talked about. So hopefully we'll make it through together as we look at Psalm. Last week, I believe Chaplain Thompson preached in uh, Psalm chapter 19. We're going backwards because uh, we had to do a little switching because of a, a little quarantine I had to do after, a, um, after, after going on an exercise, but everything's good now, so we're glad to, glad to be back. For those of you who have not been with us, um, I just want to point out that we're in the book of Psalms. From now until pretty much Advent, there are 150 Psalms, so we, will, we won't make our way to all of them. So as we, as we plan to preach this sermon series, we had to make selections, right? We had to pick what we're going to be preaching on. And I think you've already heard from uh, Chaplain Harrison with Psalm chapter 1. You've seen Psalm chapter 19. Today we're going to be in Psalm chapter 12. The Psalms are amazing. Uh, Psalms is the most quoted Old Testament book in the New Testament. Of the 360 Old Testament sort of quotations or allusions in the New Testament, of the, of three, of the 360 roughly that there are, 112 of them are from the Psalms. 112 of them are from the Psalms. Many of the songs we're singing, some of the ones we sang this morning, in fact, came from the Psalms. The, the scripture reading that we had this morning was another Psalm, Psalm chapter 8. And the Psalms cover many different topics. Uh, about half of them are written by David, and the other half are written by some other folks. But we've seen Psalms of praise. We saw one last week. We've seen Psalms of wisdom. But there's another type of psalm that shows up that I'm going to share with you today, and that is psalms of lament, meaning a psalm that, that is where the author of the psalm is crying out to God about something in his life that is, that is not going right. It's, it's a complaint about injustice. Often you'll see David say things like, many are they increased that trouble me. Many are they that rise against me. David is, is lamenting. In this passage, he's going to be lamenting as well. The lament, the complaint, if you want to call it that, is actually directed towards God himself. The thing about the laments is that, as this passage is very similar, David doesn't tie a bow on everything, and it doesn't end necessarily pretty. And I appreciate that about the laments, because I don't know about you, but everything in my life doesn't get a bow tied on it, does it? Everything's not always pretty. The laments are where the, what I like to call the rubber meets the road. The laments are many times where you and I live, where those nice platitudes that we say don't always, don't always cut it. Today in Psalm chapter 12, it's going to be a complaint to God himself 
about the actions of others. Particularly, it's going to be about lies. It's going to be about falsehood. It's going to be David complaining to God about the, about the falsehoods that are going on. If you're like me growing up, you heard a phrase, you can probably finish it for me, liar, liar, pants. That's right, liar, liar, pants on fire. What happens when the faithful are gone? I invite you to just keep your Bible open to Psalm chapter 12. We're going to look uh, as, we, as we go this morning at a couple of passages in the New Testament, but you can keep your finger on Psalm 12. That'll be our main text for today. Follow along as I read. David says this. Save, O Lord, for the godly one is gone. For the faithful is vanished from among the children of man. Everyone utters lies to his neighbor. With flattering lips and a double heart they speak. Verse 3, may the Lord cut off all flattering lips the tongue that makes great boasts, those who say, with our tongue we will prevail, our lips are with us, who is master over us? Implication being, no one. Look at verse number five. Because the poor are plundered, because the needy groan, I will now arise, says the Lord, I will place him in the safety for which he longs. The words of the Lord are pure words, like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. You, O Lord, will keep them. You will guard us from this generation forever. On every side the wicked prowl, some translations say the wicked strut, as vileness is exalted among the children of man. Vileness exalted among the children of man. David cries out to God. As we look at this psalm, as we look at this idea of what happens when the faithful are gone, what happens when you and I look around and we see wickedness, we see deceit, we see lies, what are some things you and I can take away as we read David's cry, as we read David's lament? I want to share with you Three things that we, we can take away from this passage. First one is this, number one. Cry out to God, number one, about ongoing falsehood. Number one, cry out to God about these things. What we're trying to say is it is okay to reach out to God and be honest with God and cry out to God about the things that you and I see in the world that are, that are wrong. Look at what he says. <clears throat> David just flat out says how he feels. He, in his mind... The godly one is gone. He says, the faithful have vanished from among the children of man. Now, is every single faithful person at that time gone? I don't necessarily know that's the case, but I know that's what David is saying is, this is how I feel, God. It just seems like when I look around, the faithful have gone. And he's crying out to God about it. What he cries out specifically is really three things. He's going to talk about lies, he's going to talk about flattery, and he's going to talk about pride. Under this idea of crying out to God about falsehood, you're going to see lies, uh, flattery, and you're going to see pride. God is uh, David, excuse me, is asking God to save from these things. He, his first word is save. He, re he recognizes he needs God's help. This, this is a, a bigger problem than David can fix on his own. And he mentions specifically in verse 2, everyone utters lies to his neighbor. He's saying there's a lack of faithful and 
and honest people. I was doing some research about lying on the internet, ironically enough, which is, in my opinion, full of deceit all over the place. No matter what your political bent or religious bent or your background is or your little tribe or crowd is, there's, there's lies on every side. So I'll just be equal opportunity and say they're everywhere. Just, just go look them up. But as I was doing my own research on lies, I found this. These dating apps that I'm very much not familiar with, but if you're these dating apps, Pew Research, who's a pretty reputable source about doing these types of research, 71% of daters on dating apps say they lie on their dating app. So for those that are doing dating apps, you've got about a one in four chance of, of somebody being truthful. So there you go. They all, they all lie. It's very common, it says, for, pe for people to lie. He says, everyone utters lies to his neighbor. One person said this, listen to this quote. The magnitude of a lie always contains a certain factor of credibility. You know who said that? Adolf Hitler. That in his grand plan of, 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 of getting the masses to join him, he said, yeah, the magnitude of his lie always contains a certain factor of credibility. We see lies all around us. By the way, David is crying out against these folks who are lying. You and I need to be careful. We're not part of that they crowd who's, who is being deceitful and who's lying, right? All, all my life as I've been a pastor and I've been a chaplain and I have parents come to me and they'll say, my kid's been a part of the bad crowd. Oh, my son, he's doing good. He just got a part of the bad crowd. Somewhere along the way, somebody's got to actually be the bad crowd, right? So it's sad to say that maybe my kid is the bad crowd. I want you and I to be careful as we see David crying out against the they. Don't be a part of the they that he's crying out against. Be a truthful person. So lies. If you, look, if you keep looking, you'll see flattery. Look at, verse, look at verse 2 again. With flattering lips and with double heart they speak. And it's interesting, David, David actually asked, oh God, just cut him off. And I got to thinking, I wonder if he means cut his tongue off. And there's a famous story or infamous story of, of my childhood when I was in middle school. A little boy named Randy was playing with some scissors. And you may know where this is going already. And he was, he was slinging the scissors around. And, and, a, and a little girl stuck her tongue at him. And he said, if you stick your tongue out one more time, I'm going to cut your tongue off. And I hate to say it, but sure enough, the little girl stuck her tongue out at Randy. And Randy put his scissors up there and got a little closer than he thought. And he did, he did get her tongue a little bit. He actually he cut her tongue, and then by, by the time high school, it wasn't that, it wasn't as bad as it sounds, but by the time we got to 11th or 12th grade, you know, it was just gruesome scene that grew and grew, but it was, um, it was bad. He, he, literally, he literally cut her tongue. Well, David, that, that's his strong emotion. I think what we see here is David understanding that righteousness is important, truthfulness is important, and, and David is, has this visceral response to God just cut their tongues off if they're not going to be godly. Would to God that we would have that kind of mentality about our holiness and our righteousness. God, do whatever it takes to make me be a pure person, to make me be a faithful person. But he says here about their flattery, and he says that they, have a, they speak with a, with a double heart. It, it's, not a, it's not a double heart like a double mind so much as it is a, a double standard. It's, 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 this, it's almost like this hypocrisy. As it says flattery and as it says everyone utters lies with flattering lips, it literally in verse 2, one translation put it this way, you could say it is a lip of smooth things. You ever met anybody who has a, who has a lot of smooth things to say? 
They say nice things, things attract us to them, but it's, it's for their purposes. I remember one of the first times I went out to buy a new car. In fact, it's the only new car I ever bought, come to think of it. I went out, I was looking at this little S10 truck. This salesman, he spent about an hour with me doing what salesmen do and, 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 and all that. And one of the statements I'll never forget, he's trying to sell me this little S10 truck, and he made this statement. Maybe you've heard somebody say something like this. After working with me for an hour, he said, oh, it's so cheap now, I'm already losing money on it. I'm, I'm going to lose money if I sell you this car. And I'm thinking, so you spent an hour with me to make negative dollars an hour. I kind of didn't believe that. Do you believe that? I don't, I don't believe it either. That's what this passage is talking about. A lip of smooth things. These wicked people, David's saying they'll gain your trust, they'll gain your compassion, only to later use what they know to destroy and humiliate you. It's this idea of flattery. We live in a world where people will say anything to, to, to get the, the ends justify the means. That's what David is crying out against here. David is looking around in the world and saying, oh God, do something about this. This is overwhelming to me. You see the lies, you see the flattery. But then I think also this idea of falsehood, you see the pride, the vanity. The words of the wicked lead to this ultimate, as one person said, the ultimate crime of hubris. Look at Verse 4, with our tongue we will prevail. Here it is. Our lips will be with us. And then, then they say, who is master over us? Implication being no one. Who do I answer to? I answer to no one. What a scary place. What a scary place to be. David even points out who suffers when that happens. When, when, when the world is full of deceit, when the world is full of lies, when the world is full of pride, who suffers? Look at verse 5. Because the poor are plundered, because the needy groan. In the midst of evil, in the midst of sin, in the midst of deceit, who suffers? The innocent. Who suffers? Those who maybe can't defend for themselves. As I think about David's lament all those many centuries ago, I can't help but think about our recent centuries where millions and millions have been killed by tyrannical governments that denied God's law and replaced it with a man-centered vision, that replaced it with a who's master over us? No one. I can't help but think about James chapter 3. I want, you to, I want you to turn there with me, and we'll come back to Psalm chapter 12, but if you have a Bible with you or a or on your phone, turn over to James chapter 3 real quickly, and I'll take some, a moment to turn there as well, because I want to read you something about the tongue that I think sheds light on what David was talking about. James chapter 3, I'll begin in verse 7. He says this, The tongue is a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the course of, this, of his life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. He says all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, creatures of the sea are being tamed, have been tamed by man, but no man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil. Look at what he says, full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father. With it we curse men who've been made in God's likeness. There's the double mind, by the way. My brothers, this should not be. Oh, see the danger that our lips, our tongues, and our mouths speak. And from James chapter 3. Go back to... Psalm chapter 12, a man 
with a double heart, a man living in deceit. That's scary. We see lies, deceit, we see pride all around us. And that's what David is crying out against. And what I think we can take away, first of all, is that you and I too can look around. I hope that we never get settled with sin. I hope we never get comfortable in our world going, oh, well, that's just the way it is. I hope we never get satisfied with, I guess we're just going to live in a world of deceit. I I hope and pray that we always kind of have this holy discontent for lies, a holy disconsent for deceit, because truth is, is, is utmost importance. I hope that we kind of have this, this, this idea that we're always going to lament and cry out to God, God, do something about the sin in our world. Keep that holy discontent going in our lives as we strive for holiness. Well, what do we do about lies? What do we do about falsehood? Number two is this, the second point. We trust God, and we trust God's word to combat falsehood. We trust God's word. The good news about this lament is we see God's response to the lament. I want you to look at Psalm chapter 12, and I want you to look at verse 5. We already mentioned the poor being plundered and the needy grown, and now God speaks. He says in verse 5, I will now arise, says the Lord. I will place him in the safety for which he longs. But look at verse number 6. The words of the Lord are pure words, like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. You, O Lord, will keep them. You will guard us from this generation forever. You you have this contrast between, on the one hand, lies, deceit, hypocrisy, pride, and over here, totally opposite, you have the purity of God's word. Over here you've got the wicked prowling, the wicked strutting. I can't help but think we see chickens all the time, right? I can't think of that strutting rooster. But over here you've got the purity of God's word. It says that God would arise, that God's going to take action. That's why we cry out to God about the suffering we see in the world. That's why we cry out to God about the sin we see in the world, because you know why? God will take action. It talks about the silver being purified seven times. I couldn't help but think, you don't have to turn there, but I'll quote it to you. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 20, it talks about God taking Israel out of, of, of Egypt into the promised land. It says, the Lord has taken you and brought you. It says, out of the iron furnace. The period in Egypt was sort of a time of affliction and testing, but it, it helped purify them because of the purity of God's way. You got the words of the people and the words of God. God's word is pure. God's word is is truth. We live in a world today that I believe is is anti-truth in many ways. We live in a world today that is very deceitful. But I want to remind you this morning of, of what God's word is. And to do that, I want you to turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 3. Or excuse me, 2 Timothy chapter 3. Look with me there real quickly, and I'm going to show you what the New Testament says about God's Word as we think about how to combat deceit, how to combat lies. We need to look at God's Word. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. Here's what it says about Scripture. 
Psalm 12 already talks about Scripture. He's talking about God's Word. That's talking about Scripture. This talks about Scripture, too. Look what it says in 2 Timothy 3, 16. All Scripture is breathed out or inspired by God. In other words, God inspired all of the Bible, the Old Testament and the New Testament. It's God-breathed. It's God's words, even though people wrote it down. They wrote it down as they were inspired by God. It says it's profitable. Here's what it's good for. Several things. Teaching. It teaches us what we need to know about God and salvation. For reproof, it shows us what's wrong. Like this Psalm 12 about lies, it shows us what's wrong. For correction, it shows us how to make those things right. And for training in righteousness, God's word is true. God's word trains us in the right way, in God's way. And then verse 17 says that the man of God may be equipped or may be complete, equipped for every good work. That is equipped for every good work. God's word is true. God's word is pure. That's what this passage is saying. As I was thinking about God's word being true and God's word being pure, and I was thinking about David's cry out against the world around us and the deceit and the lies, I thought about two books over the past, uh, of the 20th century anyway. One was uh, George Orwell wrote a book called 1984. You may remember that book, one of those they make you read in high school. There's another one by the man by the name of Huxley. He wrote a book called Brave New World. I went back and was studying those books a little bit, and I was thinking about neither one of these guys were necessarily writing a, a Christian book, but in their own way, they were sort of secular prophets kind of making some predictions in their book about where the society was going. And in 1984, kind of his point was this. There's going to come a day where there's going to be this totalitarian control, and they're going to ban books. They're going to deprive people of information. If you remember the book, you remember the, the, the story. And, and they're going to conceal the truth. So it's kind of an attack on truth. If we just keep people in the dark and keep people under our thumbs, you know, people won't know the truth. Well, Huxley, he didn't believe that. It wasn't so much for Huxley in his brave new world. It wasn't so much that, that some totalitarian government was going was to have their thumb on everybody, but it was just going to kind of let everybody be focused on pleasure. You're going to grow up, you're going to live life, you're just kind of going to live in a, in a pleasure. Where there's going to be sort of this trivial culture. And as I think about both of those sort of predictions, I think you and I live in a world where on the one hand there are times where truth is concealed, where sometimes you and I live in a world where people are deceitful. I also think on the other hand, Sometimes one of Satan's greatest tools against God's people is to keep you and I busy with trivial things, with, with things that aren't important. You, you and I can get on our phones or go on our computers and go down rabbit holes that'll take us down rabbit holes of all kinds of studies and all kinds of things that may not necessarily even be bad in and of themselves, but what'll happen if we're not careful is we'll go so far down a rabbit hole, we forget that the most important thing is for you and I to be focused on the truth of God's word. That, that this word that God has written down for us has not changed for thousands of years. That there is a right and that there is a wrong. This vanity where everybody speaks emptiness to their neighbor that, that, that David talks about, God's word is pure. God's word teaches us exactly how we're to live. And God makes his promises, and unlike people today, God's promises are always kept. God's promises are always kept kept. That's why Awana is so important to our, to our chapel and to our ministry. You know what Awana's main focus is? 
to teach boys and girls the gospel of Christ and train them to serve him. They're going to say that pretty much every week. We're going to have them say that. But what they're going to do is they're going to memorize Bible verses. Over the course of weeks, your children who will be coming to Awana, they're going to memorize 10, 20, 30, 40, some of them, 50 Bible verses over the course of several weeks. I believe that's going to make a difference in our hearts if we get into God's Word and as we learn it. God's Word combats the deceit and the lies. As you and I think how to conduct our lives, as you and I interact with the world around us, we should always be asking, well, what does God say about that? What does the Bible teach about that? That is our God. Number two is we use God's Word, God and His Word. That'll combat the lies. That'll combat the deceit. But then number three is this. Number three is know that wickedness is not going anywhere anytime soon. Know that wickedness is not going anywhere anytime soon. I want you to look at that last verse one more time with me. On every side, he says, the wicked prowl or the wicked strut as vileness is exalted among the children of man. Many of the Psalms, which the one that I believe Zion read earlier, ends with a great praise to God. Oh, Lord, how majestic is your name. And I love those Psalms. There are many, many Psalms that do that. But this Psalm doesn't do that, does it? It doesn't end by, like I said earlier, it doesn't tie a bow on everything. I, I don't like that. If, if you pin me down, I want everything to be, everything is awesome. Everything is candy canes and lollipops. But what David is teaching us here is he says, as he cries out to God, he hears God's response. It ends by saying, guess what? He still lives in a world where there's wickedness. He still lives in a world where there's sin. There's no bow tied on this one. One of the, one of the ways that dro drove home to me was as I served at Walter Reed National Military Medical Center, the hospital there, uh, many, many times um, I'd be praying with people who were dealing with very challenging physical ailments, even many times facing death, whether I was talking to patients, where I was talking to loved ones, this was kind of that thought, that we still live in a world where there's sin, we still live in a world where there's sorrow. Many times there's not a bow I can tie on this right this second. But as I look at this passage, the encouraging thing that I do find is that although we can't, like I say, tie a bow on it, we do know that in the midst of dealing with the wickedness, that God is still in control and God is still working in your life and in mine. I want you to turn with me to one more place in the New Testament that I really think shows this to us, and that is John chapter 17. I want you to turn to John chapter 17. David, in this passage in Psalm 12, he's praying on behalf of the people, right? That's what he's doing. He, he's, it's sort of a communal prayer. In fact, one of the commentaries said that Maybe even the, the, they would read this at their time of worship where, where all of God's people would maybe gather and say, oh God, we're praying this prayer to you that you would be with us as we deal with wickedness and deceit and all those things. Well, Jesus in John 17, he's praying for his people. In John 17, it's a recording of Jesus' prayer to the Heavenly Father as he's praying not only for the disciples, but I also believe for you and for me. And Jesus said this in John 17. I want you to look down at verse 14 in John 17. This is what he prays very specifically. I have given them your word, the them is the disciples, and the world has hated them because they're not of the world, just as I am not of the world. But here and here's what Jesus asked the Father, verse 15. 
I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. Jesus is praying to the Heavenly Father, not that God would remove his people, remove those disciples from the world. He's praying that God will keep them from evil as they're still in the world. Do, do, you, do, you, see what, do you see how that fits in with, uh, Psalm, with Psalm chapter 12? David is praying that God will be with us, and yes, God's word is pure, and yes, God's going to act and God's going to protect, but he ends the passage by simply saying that wickedness and sin and deceit, it's still here. As long as we're in this world, we're going to deal with that. But the good news is just like in John 17, just like in, 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 in Jesus' prayer, is that God's refinement and God's purity and God's sovereignty, it is not circumstantial. The circumstances that you and I find ourselves in, the world that we live in, will ultimately not prevail against God and against God's word and against God's holiness. We were reminded all too well this weekend of the sin, of the deceit, of the wickedness, of the vileness in our world. As I believe uh, somebody prayed this morning about the fact that, uh, if I'm not mistaken, uh, our, our 13 service members who were, who were killed in Afghanistan, I think maybe today was, was about the time when the, remain, the dignified transfers would take place where loved ones were getting closer to receiving uh, their, their, the remains of their loved ones back here and the hundreds of other lives that were lost. It is a stark reminder of, that, of verse number 8, isn't it? Vileness is exalted among the children of man. Not only do we see sin in our world and we see vileness, we, all, we know all too well there's, there's, there's people out there who, who exalt that. There, there's things that happen in our world that are terrible, and there's people out there who are proud of that, who strut, and, 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 and who are happy with it. You and I can cry out to God about these things. You and I... Even though the wicked aren't going anywhere anytime soon, we know, as one person said, we've read the back of the book, and guess what? We win. We know that God is on his throne and that you and I can cry out to God about these falsehoods and about these deceits. I want to close by saying this. Where are you and, and where am I in terms of our righteousness? Do we understand that God's called us to live a life a life of purity and a life of truth. Maybe you're here today and, and you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior. Well, that Jesus who we just mentioned who, who prayed that prayer, he died on a cross and three days later he rose again and the Bible says that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. For those of us who are God's people who are saved, our challenge is let's be sure that you and I aren't part of the they that David's praying against. Be people of truth. Teach your children God's truth. Conduct our families, conduct our lives accordingly as, as people of truth. For our single soldiers who are praying about one day God sending you a, a wife or a husband, find that person that, that helps lead you into God's truth. Wickedness is not going anywhere anytime soon. As you and I live in this world, let's continue to cry out to God and pray to Him, knowing that He will take care of us even in the midst of heartache and sorrow. God has our back, God is in control, and in the end, God's people win. I invite you to pray with me.
Heavenly Father, we thank you for your truth. In that same prayer, Jesus, you said, sanctify them by your truth. God, your word is truth. As we work through the Psalms and what we call these melodies of faith, I pray that our faith would be strengthened as we study your word. God, I pray that as David witnessed, when we live in a world where it seems like the faithful have gone, or at least there's many, many less, I pray we would be counted among those who are faithful, among those who live our lives on the truth of God's word. I pray that you would be with us in this world of vileness. I pray right now for, as, as Daryl prayed earlier, for our, for our service members, family, and friends who are in, who are in sorrow, who are, who are in grief. I pray that you would comfort them. And, oh, God, I pray that you would act. I pray that you would, would work in this world in a way that would bring you glory. And, God, I pray that as we worship you, we know you're a way maker. We know you're one who hears us when we pray. It says in this passage that you'll guard us from this generation forever. And although, Heavenly Father, we recognize we still live in this world right now, we know that ultimately one day when we're with you in heaven, you'll make all things new. And we won't have to cry out to you about these things anymore because, God, you will be victorious and you will win. We thank you for that. We thank you for Jesus who made all this possible through his shed blood on the cross. I thank you for the salvation we have in him. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.